Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Well, it's retreat time. Let's put up that scripture from Luke if it's up there. I don't even remember who did. There we go. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. We've been anticipating this retreat for many weeks, praying, preparing, believing that the Holy Spirit of Jesus is here. Okay, I don't know what crowd can graduate, but that's an amen point right there, right? (laughs) The Holy Spirit of Jesus is here. And he's ready to work in and through this community And this scripture verse has been our personal prayer and the prayer of our workers in Europe over the past about year and a half, that we would lose ourselves for Jesus and the gospel. It's not my text for tonight, but it's the prayer that I want us to have in our hearts for this weekend. That we would just lose ourselves in Jesus and his agenda. I love spiritual retreats like this because there can be significant moments in our lives. They really can. There's more to the spiritual life than retreats, but weekends like this are opportunities to make or to firm up decisions in your life to be even more consecrated to Jesus. This weekend together can be a time of renewal and re-energizing your journey with Jesus. Retreats are holy pauses, not pause. (laughs) Pauses. (laughs) I thought that was cute. (laughs) It wasn't in my notes. These are pauses that make space for Jesus so that he can adjust the trajectory of your life. These are moments when we align ourselves with kingdom business. Now, some of you may be new to Christian retreats at all, or maybe Chi Alpha retreats. Some of you just got in a car for someone you met just a few days ago. And you're like, I'm not quite sure where I'm going or what we're doing. You know, like, why am I here? But I tell you what, the Holy Spirit knows why you're here. And he is here to minister to you, to see the transformation of your heart, soul, mind, and soul. And he's here to lead you into a deeper relationship with his, holy, his favorite person, Jesus. So I want us to open up our hearts and minds, as Pete has already prayed, to receive what God has for you. They would lose yourselves for him and his agenda. So over the next 36 hours or so, my wife and I are going to be talking about what it means to be a community of the gospel. Okay, that's our theme. We want to be a gospel-centered and gospel-motivated community of faith. So we're going to look at several passages from the New Testament, and we're going to make connections to Chi Alpha's three anchors, real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. For those of you who love to see the syllabus, how many of you, what kind, it's probably, it's UVA, so probably a lot of you, right? I love that. Here's what we're going to do in our four sessions. Number one, a gospel community is devoted to Jesus. Number two, session two, A gospel community knows 
the gospel. Three, the gospel community is profoundly given or committed to each other. And four, a gospel community takes up its gospel responsibility. Very simply, we're going to be asking ourselves these questions. Am I dabbling in Jesus or am I devoted to Jesus? Or am I a consumer of Christian community or am I a contributor to Christian community? And finally, am I a tender of church services or am I an ambassador of Christ? Does that, does that understand where we're going? So to have those kind of opening comments, I want to begin tonight by looking at the book of Philippians. Now, in the book of Philippians, Paul, it's a letter in the New Testament, Paul is writing to a Christian group of Christian people in this town of Philippi, Philippi a church he started, and they are actually a church that's doing pretty well spiritually. They're living main, mainly faithfully to Jesus, unlike some of Paul, other Paul, Paul's letters that he wrote that are like, you guys are really messing up. This church seems to be doing things okay, but there are some challenges to their faith. Paul is writing to them from prison, likely he's in the Roman prison, and he's encouraging this community of faith to be the people of the gospel. Of all Paul's letters, Paul uses the word gospel in Philippians more than any other. Gospel, 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 gospel. And he talks about being a partners in the gospel. He talks about striving, contending for the gospel. He talks about sharing the gospel. He wants them to be a community of the gospel. The church at Philippi was mostly not Jewish, which was unusual at that time. It was primarily a Gentile, maybe even entirely a non-Jewish group of people. And they lived in this city that was a city dedicated to Rome and to Caesar. It was a city filled with retired veterans of the Roman army that owed their worship and allegiance to Caesar. And the fact that this Philippian community of faith worshipped Jesus as Savior and Lord was at odds with the world around them who worshipped Caesar as Savior and Lord, the very same words they used of Jesus. And in this world opposed to this Jesus religion, it would be easy for the Philippians to lose a little motivation. <laughs> maybe they're embarrassed by Paul's imprisonment, or maybe the cultural pressure is too great, or maybe there's the temptation to not to, to maybe come up with a more acceptable kind of religion. Maybe add Jesus to the Roman pantheon of gods. Maybe at least be Jewish, because that was at least legal. Right? Or maybe they just keep it to themselves. In the middle of this circumstance, Paul writes to them in chapter 1, verse 27. He says, stand firm, strive for the faith. And he calls them partners in the gospel. You know, it's not so unlike the world we live, is it? There's a temptation to keep this Jesus thing to an acceptable level. It's okay if you're a follower of Jesus, just don't get too into it. Right? Am I, am I, am I wrong about that? Is that not kind of the context? It's fine for you, just don't let it get anywhere else. Right? 
And because we live in the same kind of environment, we too can be prone to faithfulness entropy. I don't know if that's a phrase. I probably just made it up. But over time, as good as it started with Jesus, we lose energy. We lose focus in our following of Jesus. And the clarity of our commitment to him can get a little fuzzy. The daily grind of living in a world that can't fathom anyone being so into this Jesus thing wears us down. I think that's what Paul is worried about for the church at Philippi. They're doing fine, but he's worried about spiritual entropy. And he's reminding them, stand firm. Be the community of the gospel. That's all intro, by the way. Could you just stand one more time with me? I grew up in a church that we always stood for the reading of the text. So I'm going to do it here. Our text for this evening is Philippians 3. We're going to look at several verses, but I want to read verse 10 through 11 and verse 14. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly calling of God in Christ Jesus. Can we pray one more time? Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence any voices but your own, so that we may hear your word and also do it. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. To be a gospel community, we must be devoted to Jesus. At the center of everything for Paul and at the center of everything that is truly Christian is knowing Jesus, being devoted to him. Now, I'm sure if you've been in church more than like 10 minutes, you've heard something like that before. I mean, it's obvious, right? It's fundamental. You know, Christ puts the Christ in Christianity. You know, it's not that hard to figure out. It's like saying breathing is important for staying alive. You know, it might be obvious, but it's vital nonetheless. But unlike breathing, devotion to Jesus isn't involuntary. It takes decision and intention. We must be attentive to it. Be devoted to Jesus. I've always admired people that um, have a hobby. You know, because I have tried to have hobbies and then they never quite work out for me for some reason. And I don't know why, now that I'm in early middle age, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I have like this craving to ha- be a person who has a hobby and I don't really have one. I mean, I've gone through seasons of my life where I tried to have one. I, I tried to be into oil lamps for a while. Why did you laugh? That cool, would be a cool hobby. I have three. <laughs> So it didn't go very far. Of course, I went for the obligatory male hobby of 
barbecue, learning to master the smoke. That's right. And now my intention is woodworking. Well, to be honest, it's actually watching woodworking videos on Instagram. (laughs) It's not actually doing woodworking, but, you know, maybe my hobby is just like hoping to have a hobby. I don't know. I don't know. But maybe you have a dad like that who goes through phases, you know, or mom. But, you know, just like, I'm going to do this. We're really into it. And I buy all the equipment, and then it fails. And I I don't get very far in, in it. I never am able to sustain my passions for very long for some reason. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But I get distracted by something else or another potential hobby that might be better. You know, I think culturally we have an addiction to consumption of experiences. Always looking for the next thing that might satisfy. And I think somehow our relationship with Jesus is a little bit like a hobby that we have a phase we get into, but then it loses energy over time as we're distracted by other things. And like this church of Philippi, nothing bad has happened yet. We've not gone on a horrible road, but the original energy and devotion to Jesus and his agenda is waning. And Paul is writing to us and saying, stay focused. There's only one thing that matters. is I want to know Christ. That's it. That's everything. No matter what the culture around is saying to us, no matter if you, that the church isn't perfect as it should be, that, that those things are, yes, but still the one thing that matters is a singular obsession with Jesus. You know, part of the reason I want a hobby is because I really admire people, like I said, who really do have a singular passion for something. Several years ago, uh, we were on vacation, and we went into a candle shop. I think this was my oil lamp phase, and so I was hoping there were oil lamps in there, but it was mostly candles. But nonetheless, it was cool, a cool store. And honestly, the candles were actually like works of art. These weren't just smelly goody things, you know, like, you know, ooh, you know, pumpkin spice. You know, it wasn't that kind of a place. But it's probably sacrilege. I love pumpkin spice. You know, whatever. It's fine. Huh? But these were actually physically beautiful candles and shapes and colors and sizes. And the woman working the store was actually the chandler. Yes, I learned the word for candle maker, chandler. Did you know that? That's good. You guys are smart. You probably knew that. So if your last name is Chandler, you're antipasados. How do we say that? Ancestors? Yeah, we're probably candle makers. There you go. Anyway, I was talking to this Chandler <laughs> and, uh, about her candles and her work. And I asked her, which of these candles are you most proud of? And her answer shocked me. She said, none of these candles. I said, well, what, what, what's the most challenging, most important candle in your life? And she says, well, it is a single white candle. I was like, hey, you know, I'm not a Chandler, but I kind of like these other ones, you know? But she began to describe to me that she was one of a handful of Grand Master Chandlers in the U.S., part of the Chandler's Guild. Apparently, guilds are more than something the theater kids talk about at the Renaissance fairs. Oh, I was a theater kid. Sorry, I was, a, you know. <laughs> but to become a Grand Master Chandler... She was asked to make the perfect candle. And it had to be 
pure white. And they actually had scales of brightness that measured the whiteness of the candle. And it's nearly impossible, apparently, to make a white candle. Truly white candle. And not only that, they had to have the perfect wick. I learned more about wicks that day than I probably need to know about their type of material, about their, their curing. Did you know you cure wicks, apparently? And then she said, then you have to actually melt that candle, and they put it up against a very fine-tooth digital um, scale, a measuring thing in millimeters and smaller, and they have a stopwatch, and it has to burn in exact time frames down the candle so that you bur- your burn rate, apparently, is, has to be an ideal burn rate. Little did I know about the Guild of Chandlers in the upper Midwest, but I met a grand master. The truth was, it was a fascinating conversation. I got caught up in her passion over her candle making. But she loved it so much. She loved the art. She loved talking about it. She loved the beauty, the direction. She had found her single obsession. And that's everything to her. And what is shocking about people with singular devotion is they live with joy. There's a pureness to their love of that thing. There's dedication. They don't mind the work it takes to get at it because it was hard work, actually, for her. She needed to talk about it, as I found out. She couldn't help talking about what she was passionate about. And you know, what we are missing in our lives is not more stuff. It's more singular focus on one thing. The one thing is Jesus. And out of a singular obsession, a singular devotion to Jesus, there is where you'll find joy and rest and passion and you'll be excited about it. You won't mind the difficulties in life because you have found the thing that makes sense of your life. But there's a lot of challenges to having a singular devotion. The truth is our contemporary world makes it very hard for us to be people of singular devotion. So many things are demanding your attention. Everybody is selling you something that will make your life right. You got to do this. You, how have you never seen this show before? Have you ever tried this kind of eating? Have you ever done this or that? Have you, have you ever you know, done this exercise or that exercise? We are shouted out at all day Long voices clamoring for our attention because attention is allegiance, and our allegiance is split a thousand ways. What has your attention? What truly has your attention? Does Jesus have your attention? We bought some Facebook ads couple years ago for our ministry in Spain. And you all know this, but I'm totally like a Luddite. I don't get tech. And I was shocked that we got charged for an ad that was seen for one second. That was considered a view. One flippin' second! And then my credit card got charged! 
The pace of our attention is incredible. Most of you scroll through more images in an hour than most people in history would see in a lifetime. The world we live in trains us in distraction and not devotion. And they are radically opposed to one another. We're addicted to this constant barrage of voices looking for maybe this will be the thing that gives me the moment of pleasure, the thing I'll really enjoy. But even before we finish enjoying, we've got to move on to the next, to the next. And our world today trains us to be not devoted to anything. I think there's an underlying sense that in this constant looking for new experiences that we're exhausted. And we feel that way. One of the fascinating things about the COVID world is that post-COVID, people are leaving their jobs, leaving their churches, leaving their relationships in groves. Droves. <laughs> Not groves. That's an orchard. They're leaving in droves because people have gotten out of the rat race for a while and decided, I'm exhausted of chasing after everything. And yet, we still try to find the next image that will be awesome. Maybe the next funny meme. Maybe that will really make me laugh because the last one only a little bit. No, you look, just keep going. What's the next hobby? What's the next thing I can do or join? We swing from distraction to distraction and we exhaust ourselves in the pursuit of a thousand things. When Jesus says, if you're obsessed with me, I will give you rest, peace. There's a clarity from knowing one thing. I think it's fascinating as we see our cultures, we swing from looking at this and doing this and looking everywhere, and then we crash and burn, and then for 36 hours, we're alone in our room, Netflix binging, because we're so tired of the pursuit of a thousand things. And yet, Jesus offers us everything we'd ever need or want. You know, the reality is, this distracted life is nothing new. The 17th century philosopher, Christian, just all-around cool guy, Blaise Pascal, I don't know, I don't speak French. He said this, I don't know which quote I have, but first, I guess, here it is. If our condition were truly happy, we would not need to be distracted from thinking about it in order to make ourselves happy. Chew on that a little bit. This constant distraction of ourselves, it's really covering up the fact that we haven't found our single obsession. He goes on to say this, the only thing that consoles us in our miseries is entertainment. 17th century! <laughs> what are you, scrolling through your big fat book? You know, it's like... <laughs> Swipe, you know, it's like... <laughs> And yet, this, this, this pursuit of entertainment, of distraction, is the greatest of our miseries. For this is what prevents us from thinking about ourselves and making, makes us imperceptibly destroy ourselves. 
Without it, we would be in a state of fatigue, and this fatigue would prompt us to look for a harder remedy to get rid of it. But entertainment amuses us and unconsciously leads us to death. All this pursuit of the next pleasure, the next moment, is just a cover-up for the reality that we're looking for something, but it's also this pursuit exhausts us, exhilarates us, exhausts us, exhilarates and exhausts us. And our distracted life is a vicious cycle that keeps us from devotion. But devotion frees us from the tyranny of Project Me. Devotion to Jesus. It's the clear teaching of Scripture that we were made for a singular devotion to the triune God. We were created with an allegiance capacity of one. You should have no other gods before me. That's it. Everything else is idolatry. The secret is that when we get our devotion, our allegiance right, all things are ours. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given you. The opponent of our devotion to Jesus isn't, can be lots of things. It can be a relationship, even a good one, a cause. It, even just surviving can take the place of Jesus in our lives, just getting through the day. The perfect situation or job can be the idol. All these things can take our lives away from the singular obsession of Jesus. So I ask you a very simple question. What are you giving yourself to? You know, I'm, my kids are now your age. And um, so I'm speaking for more of a father-type role. Looking back, and we've been in campus ministry for you know, 25 years, I've never felt as strong as I do about the importance of these four years of your life. These are the four years where you set the trajectory of your life. Now, God is merciful, and we goof up, and he's always there. But I'm telling you, this is a moment in your life. You're, you're kind of creating a groove, a track that you will run on for the rest of your life. Will you be devoted to Jesus, or will you be devoted to a thousand things badly? And I beg you, give yourself to Jesus. Now, that was my second introduction. (laughs) But my main points are very short. Because Paul doesn't just say, I want to know Christ. He then helps us understand what does it take for us to keep that singular focus going. What does it take to sustain this single obsession. First of all, Paul encourages us to do the math. Do the math. Verse 4, Philippians 3. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. (laughs) Paul, (laughs) think you're bragging. Let me talk to you a little bit. He goes, I was circumcised on the eighth day, a a member of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. Did you notice all those words Paul uses that have to do with counting numbers? They literally are business numbers. It's like he has a ledger, an account sheet. Loss, count, in the old versions, reckon, and so on and so forth. He's putting his life previous to Jesus on a scale and comparing it to the fact that he knows Jesus personally now. And he goes to say, when I evaluate the whole thing, Jesus has surpassing value. He does the math. He says, my life before Jesus and my life with Jesus, there's no comparison. Jesus wins every time. Well, obviously I grew up in the U.S., as you can tell by my accent. I don't know what that means. (laughs) But I've been living in Europe now for 14 years, and... The truth is, they use the metric system over there, and let's be honest, we should be using it everywhere. Because, you know, honestly, thank you. But, growing up in the States, not using the metric, and, and over the 14 years, I, you know, I've learned a lot, I've figured it out a little bit. I know that when it's 17 outside, I don't need a big coat, right, you know? Because I've made the mes- me- mental adjustment to the metric system. 17's a beautiful day, I don't have to, so I know that. But still, honestly, like, Sometimes when we're talking metrics, and people say, yeah, just go, just go ahead 500 meters. I'm like, okay, you know, one and two. I don't know. You know, I have no idea how far that is. You tell me go football field, I know exactly how far that is, right? You know. I can eyeball that. And so just this last week, I went to get a suit um, because my son's getting married. And uh, I went to get, you know, a suit. So I go into a store. They have a lot of great clothes. They just, man, they just dress so much better. And it's size, whatever. And so we go to the suit store, and I say, like, I'd like a suit, a blue suit. And he's like, what size? 44? I mean, I have no idea because they measure completely differently. You know, I know I'm a 40 shoe. So I figured, 40-something suit, right? I have no idea. And the guy looks at me politely but with a little bit of ridicule. He's like, I think perhaps you may be a 50. (laughs) And then he grabs a 52. (laughs) Exactly. Like, I'm huge. I'm a 52. In in America, I'm a 38 short. Now I'm a 52 XL. No joke. At Walmart in America, I'm an M, a medium. Sorry. M-A. I'm an M-A. In Spain, I'm a double XL. <laughs> you know, and it's crazy, but this is a silly illustration, but, you know, it all depends on what measuring stick you have, you know? Like, I felt real fat when I'm a 52, but a 38 short, you know, I'm felt, you know what I'm saying, you know? But it all depends on what you're measuring with. And, and I think that's what Paul is saying here. Paul lists all these things, Hebrew of Hebrews, eighth-day circumcision, so on and so forth. They don't sound that great to us, 
but for him and his people, he was listening to things that, those were the things that gave you the good life. When he was measuring his life by the stick his culture gave him, he says, nobody measured up like I did. You know, the fact is he doesn't even actually say these things are all bad. He just says, I was measuring with the wrong stick. Because when I measured things by who Jesus is, this stuff is rubbish. And it's so easy for us to measure our lies by the wrong stick. Paul says, I had lived a life as I was told to by my friends, by my culture, by my situation, and I did it all right. One commentator says this, Paul's problem was not that he couldn't make the grade, it was that he did make it, only to find out it was the wrong standard of measurement. It's so easy for us to measure our lives by the wrong things by social media, the measurement it gives us, by our peers, by just the default of our culture. Sometimes we measure ourselves by those panicky thoughts we have at night. All those things are the wrong measurement. And instead of those hollow things, Paul says, measure your life by the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. In my Nearly 30 years now of ministry experience, most people do not walk away from the faith by, because of rational arguments or be, not even because they've been hurt by the church. Most people walk away, in my view, because they lack a familiar, living, tangible experience of the real Jesus. See, often they're measuring not the real Jesus, but they're measuring their idea of church or some superficial knowledge of Jesus. And they're looking at the life they could build. Go, yeah, my life, I could build this on my own. But when you put the actual Jesus on the scale, he is surpassingly valuable. There's nothing that's greater, nothing that's sweeter. And Paul says all of the life can be summed up in this thing, if you know Jesus or not. So my question is, are, are you substituting lesser things? Are you deciding what the good life is by the default of the culture, by merely coasting? Have you really looked long and hard at Jesus? When you do, all other pursuits seem like street filth, human waste, garbage. So I beg you, students, at this beginning stage of your adult life, create an ardent, passionate bond with the real, living person of Jesus. Not the ideas of church, but Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. Make time for Jesus. Give him your time and energy, your best time and your best energy, not the leftovers. Talk about him. That's what the community of faith were. Talk about Jesus. 
It keeps him in front of us. And not just talk about him, talk with him. And I know you all pray, but can I, for those of you who are new to this, sometimes you just need to pray out loud to Jesus just to hear it. Because when you do, all of a sudden he seems more real to you. Don't get stuck here. Talk, Jesus, say his name throughout the day, Jesus. Surround yourself with peers who also believe that I want to know Christ is the right motto of life. Read and meditate on the four Gospels and Acts. The whole Bible is God's word, but I'm telling you, nothing will revolutionize your life by regularly reading the Gospels and Acts. Know the real Jesus, not just information secondhand. Know Jesus. My points get shorter. Secondly, how do we keep the focus, the obsession with Jesus? Reading from verses 12 through 15. Not that I've already obtained this or I've already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us, then, who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. <laughs> That's Paul's nice way of, like, seriously, I'm right on this. <laughs> and if you don't quite get that yet, God's going to tell you again later. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. Paul doesn't pretend that he is perfect. He doesn't pretend he's arrived. He says, I'm not where I should be either. I've not arrived spiritually. And he describes this pursuit of Jesus in intense ways. This word to strain or press on. It's like an animal hunting prey or more likely an Olympic athlete running a race and stretching towards the finish line. To use in a mathematically impossible phrase, Paul says, give Jesus 110%. <laughs> That's actually not possible. You can only give all. Am I wrong on that? Okay, just saying math. So Paul is urging us, go for it, give everything. But in the middle of that, Paul wants us to make sure that we know, even in this rigorous pursuit of Jesus, to remind us, he reminds us of this, that as we are trying to make Christ our own, Jesus has already made us his own. I'm striving to get a hold of the one who already has a hold of me. This is so incredible. Our faith is not one of earning God's favor. It is pursuing the one who's already got us in his arms. Now, maybe it's because my kids are getting married this year, but I've noticed babies again. Um, so I don't know if we have a picture of uh, baby Nora up there. There you go. That is your UVA grads right there with their baby Nora. Nora's wonderful. And over the last three weeks, Nora has begun to walk. It's been incredible to watch. But one thing I just reminded us, our own kids, is Andrew and Jess, she, she was learning to walk, and she'd grab onto their, their fingers, you know, and do the whole walking thing. And then one of, the kid, one of the parents would be over here like, come on, Nora, come on, come on, come on. And she's like, you know, drunk, but like holding those hands, you know, <laughs> you know kind of doing that, that thing. And it's so amazing because the truth, I mean, the girl's learning to walk. She's never done that before. And that takes a lot of effort. She's a big girl, by the way. And I would say this with Andrew. This girl's a big girl. 
And um, she's bearing a lot of weight. Let me just put it that way. But it took a lot of effort for her to get moving. She was straining and striving, and yet because mom and dad are holding on to her and because mom and dad are calling her, all that striving and all that working hard was just sheer joy and delight because she knew who had her. Her parents have her. And there's a freedom in our walk with Jesus because we're not just pursuing God so that we can find him. He's found us and he's holding us. So there's a freedom in that. Does that make sense? Paul says, I want you to go for it. Give your everything. Give it 110%. Strain as hard as you can, but don't forget. Jesus already loves you so much. His arms are wrapped around you. You don't have to please him. To gain his favor. He's there right now. Take hold of him who already has hold of you. That's why Paul can say, I'm forgetting my previous efforts, what is behind. My previous approach to life where I thought I had to control it all. I had to make my own way. I'm fully responsible for my own happiness and personal growth. Why would I go back to a life where it all depended on me? Why would I go back to a failed source of transformation, my own strength? Why would I go back to Project Me when I could passionately pursue the one who already has me in his arms? Some of you are working so hard to earn Jesus' favor. It's so hard to be a good Christian, or so hard to prove to meet your, fulfill your parents' dreams for your life, and you're exhausted. And I'm here to tell you, the single pursuit of Jesus will free you from having to control it all. He already has you. Leave it behind. Lastly, this. We need to live in the here and there. Verse 17, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross. I've often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. You know, Paul wasn't always angry yelling at people. He cried at seeing people who pursued other things than Jesus. He says, their end is destruction, their God is the belly their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our hum- humiliation so that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. Paul urges them to take the same path he has taken. Imitate us, as he puts it. And then he puts following Jesus, of knowing Jesus in this stark contrast. And he says, and it brings him to tears, he says, I've seen it too often that people get distracted by the world we live in. There are people who exchange knowing Jesus for what he calls earthly matters. 
God is their belly, glory is their shame. These were idiomatic phrases that simply meant there are people who live for instant gratification and for personal pleasure and nothing else. And our times have not changed. The same temptation to live by instant gratification and personal pleasure. He says, these people are living as citizens of an earthly kingdom. Their world has shrunk to what they can consume, what they can own, what can they manage, what they can see. He says, but that, has, that pleasure has a limited run. Because it, in the end, it leaves you outside the eternal kingdom of God. We face the same challenge. We're told that all you have is now. Any self-help book you read will tell you, now. You only have now. Well, that's sort of true. We only can live in the moment. That makes sense. I can't live in the past or the future. But there's something more being said. They're saying, they're saying live for this now. Live for this moment. And it's a kind of a faith statement that says about the world that all there is is what is visible, tangible, momentary. There's only the earthly kingdom. But Paul says there is something far greater than today. There's something far greater than what you can see, touch, and feel. There's something far greater than just small pleasure. Christianity claims there's something bigger, richer, deeper, supernatural, and it starts now, but it leads for eternity. And Paul says, like he does in Romans, don't let the world squeeze you into the mold of thinking the world is just here and now. It's here and there. Here on this earth, but in the heavens as well. Every year, I read The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis. Not because it's the Bible. (laughs) And I feel obligated at any evangelical conference to quote C.S. Lewis. So here we go. He says this. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The greatest enemy to our devotion to Jesus isn't sexual temptation or greed or utilitarian relationships or this or that. It's what lies behind those things that drives them It's the idea that we better get and grab hold of the good things now while we can. Because now is all we have. And that lie is the greatest lie of our world and of this generation. But Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. Far greater, far deeper, far more satisfying, far more eternal. If we know we belong, where we belong, to God's kingdom, and to whom we belong, the King Jesus, the life of competitive striving, 
Life is running after things. Life is getting what you can't when you can. The exhausting race to meet every goal, to cross everything off our bucket list, those things no longer drive us when we see that we're citizens of the kingdom of God. When we see we're citizens under King Jesus, we have everything. Paul says in Romans, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Here's what I want you to hear. He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things? Lewis says we're far too easily pleased. Living for the now when we can live for eternity. We belong to a different kingdom. Ask the worship team to come up and uh, play something. I'm sure you're ready. I preach a little longer than I normally do, partly because I normally preach in two languages. And so I really keep it short, but um, I wanted to set the tone for our weekend. I want us to say, I want to know Christ. And I wanted to point out some of the challenges our culture of living in a broken world cause. And as they begin to play, I'm just going to repeat some of the questions I asked during the message But I want to admit there's probably two groups of people here tonight. Perhaps there are a few of you here that you have, maybe you've never been to a Christian conference before, maybe you're admittedly not a follower of Jesus and probably didn't understand everything I was talking about because it's kind of insider Bible type language, but you still felt something happening in your heart. You kind of feel something almost physically in your chest and you realize I've been striving so hard to find something and I've not been satisfied yet. I think that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you that Jesus can satisfy the longing of your heart and mind and soul. That if you make him your single obsession, everything you ever desired the deepest desires of our lives will be met. Maybe you've never said yes to him, but you've just felt something in your, man, I don't know what's going on here. It's kind of odd. But Jesus wants to be your single obsession. And I just say to you, transfer your trust from yourself to him. I think for those of us who maybe grew up Christian or have been in the church a while, let's be honest, we all have spiritual entropy. And um, we get distracted by life. There's lots of things going on at university. And like Paul said at the church at Philippi, let's not forget what really matters. And you just need to spend some time evaluating where your energy is, where your attention is where your focus is, what voices you're listening to, the thousand distractions. And you just need to take some time and clear that out tonight. You know, that's what we just need to do. It's like a, 
You know, it's like turning your phone on and off. It just resets. And that's just, we're just going to make space for that tonight. So two things. If you are never made a commitment to Jesus, but you said, yes, something happened. I want to make you my single obsession. And then for all of us, there's time here to clear out the thousand distractions and come back to the very singular thing. Is Jesus the singular obsession of your life? Are you devoted to him? Are you trusting in the one who holds you? Are you just working hard? Are you a citizen of heaven? Or are you too involved in earthly matters? You bow your head with me, I'll pray. And then I'll ask you to respond by finding a place of prayer. Lord Jesus, I've known you for a long time personally, and I can say I still need help in making you my singular obsession. Life gets busy, things happen, and I lose energy. And I'm sure I'm not the only one here. Help us, Lord, to clear out all the other sounds and voices and claims to our allegiance and be renewed in the joy of devoting ourselves to a singular person, the one who died for us, the one who saved us, who rescued us from sin and death. Help us not to operate in striving to please you or to make life happen, but instead to run to the arms of the one who already is holding us anyway. Help us take the long perspective. We don't just live for today. We live for today, in today, but for eternity. We're citizens of heaven. Help us to see it with that perspective. As the band continues to play, just find a place to prayer. Sometimes it takes a physical move. You just need to get up out of your chair and move to the front, to the side, back. Maybe you just need to turn around and kneel at your chair. But can we make this place an altar, a moment of consecration, a renewal of our singular devotion? Can you do that? Please feel free to move around. Staff, as always, feel free to pray if God leads you. Pray for one another if you need to. But can we just make, for at least for a moment, take some time to renew our singular devotion to Jesus? I just play but don't sing for a while
there's um, in this quietness and stillness you know two things can be happening one we can just be fading out mentally because we're you know it's dark and it's nighttime but I think in this stillness the, the Holy Spirit is speaking and there are decisions being made right now um, that will change the trajectory of your life So let's, I'm not going to rush it. We're going to sing in just a second and, and, and close our time. But I don't want to miss this opportunity. The only question that matters in life is where do you stand with Jesus? That's it. We're either devoted to him and everything we've ever desired truly need and desired is fulfilled or we choose our own path and that's it's a critical moment so there are people here deciding for the first time to give Jesus their whole lives I'm going to pray for you all in just a second for those who have been following Jesus I think there's so much in that kind of a post-COVID world there's a whole lot of gunk in our hearts about life and just kind of, we're kind of knotted up. And, and I just think it's a season where you just need to be free again in the joy of devoting your life to Jesus. Following Jesus is a wonderful, fulfilling adventure. But we turn it into striving and effort and hard. And sometimes we overthink the thing. Just fall in love with Jesus again. I want to pray one more time, and then we're just going to be—I'll have a stand and worship. But Lord Jesus, I, there's people here who came and didn't even know why they came, but all of a sudden they've come to a crossroads in their life, and they didn't even realize it. And they want to say yes to you tonight. 
I want to make Jesus the single focus of my life. Give them, I pray right now, the power of the Holy Spirit to say yes to you. To forget everything behind, all self-attempts at self-salvation, self-satisfying, self-energized life. Instead, they're going to rest in you. And I pray, Lord, that that decision would be made right here, right now. And for these UVA students who've already chosen to follow you, but maybe there's some lost motivation, lost energy. Maybe they just carried the burden of pleasing parents and doing the right thing, which includes even kind of being a good church person. I pray that you would give them a renewed spirit of joy that they are known and seen and loved by you. And you are pleased. And that their pursuit of you would be delight and not drudgery. Joy and not merely duty. That they would fall in love again with the one who is of surpassing value. Make us, help us to be wholly devoted to you. Would you stand and let's worship the Lord together. Yes, Lord, tonight we call on the Holy Spirit to come fill us afresh. As we started tonight asking you to fan things into flame in our hearts, Lord, we open our hearts to you and say, come fill us afresh. Fill us with a fresh vitality of the Holy Spirit. Fill us with a fresh hope that flows from the Spirit. Fill us with a fresh passion where the Spirit would call out from within us, Abba, Father, that we would long to just be closer to you, O God. That we would have a fresh intimacy that flows from the Holy Spirit. A fresh passion from the Holy Spirit. So fill us afresh, God. Fill us afresh, God. God, I pray for the wind of the Spirit to blow through our community this weekend. That we would walk out of this weekend with a real devotion for Jesus. That we would be able to say with Paul that we long to know Christ. So Lord, fill us afresh with your Spirit. For your glory and our good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com. 